Hi, I'm Eddie. I run a comic shop and publish my own comic strip. And I'm Roger, and I run a comic shop and my very own Comic-Con. And I'm Joe, a lifelong fan who does all the real work to make our show go. Every week, we'll discuss the newest insider info that you won't get from your favorite comics and talk to some of our favorite creators and publishers. So come take a peek behind the counter with Tales from the Comic Shop, part of the Geek Nerd Network. Weekly on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hey everyone, welcome to our next episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, a, a transition episode, um, probably sort of a different episode because this week we are talking about the film The Power of One, uh, which is probably never going to be remade, never going to get a sequel, never going to get a prequel, never going to be made a franchise, but uh, we got to talk about it because um, Daniel Craig's in it and... Uh, there are linkages to a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about over the next year. I also want to start this episode saying we're recording it uh, in in the aftermath of um, the the murder by the police of you know uh, another black man in a traffic stop, and um, this is really really difficult for a lot of us and I want to um, I want to acknowledge that and uh, also I want to thank um, Mark and Melissa for being here uh, to um, to have this discussion because I really I really appreciate your your insight from both of you on this so um, thanks for being here of course yeah we're yeah. glad to be here yeah, yeah um, I'm a little mad at you, though, I got to say, because, man, this is a hard movie to watch. It is. And, I, I, you know, the whole time I was thinking, and I know for sure Mark has heard this before at least once in his life and probably a lot in his life uh, as a fellow Latino. I know he's heard this. Uh, but, the, you know, the whole time I was watching this, and it can be such a slog in some points, and I was kind of mad at you, Andy, and I was like, Damn, I thought he was one of the good ones. You know, I thought you were one of the good ones, Andy, and apparently you are not. No, no, <laughs> no, I'm terrible. I'm just as bad as everyone else. My my shit stinks like everybody else's. So, nope. Um, there, There's a lot in this movie. Uh, I apologize uh, for that. Um, I had forgotten how tough um especially i think the the first half hour to hour of this movie really is um and one of the things that i wanted to do is like i i hadn't seen this movie again in um a couple of decades and i wanted to sort of critically reevaluate it based on that because it's got a lot of 
bad 90s tropes that felt very progressive for 1992 and really fall flat today. And um, I don't know, is there a way to to deal with this movie or is it is it good or is it bad? Uh, you know, which is our favorite our favorite question. Um, so I don't know. Now, Melissa had, you had never seen this before, correct? That is correct. I had heard of it in the nineties, but you know, if you don't catch it in the theater in 1992, you wait till like 1994, HBO, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I was in high school. I didn't have any money. You know what I'm saying? Like I got an allowance, but like my grandmother, she was like, well, here's your allowance, but you have to buy your lunch and your tampons and your makeup with it. And I'm like, well, okay, just lunch alone is more than my allowance. So, you know, I had no money for nothing. And so I just never went to see it. And it's not like I could just Netflix it, you know, later or something because that didn't exist. So, you know, I it just it's one of those movies where I wasn't interested enough to seek it out later, I guess, you know, I'd heard it was good. And I think for 1992, it's good. But for today, I'm just like, you know, um, I might have liked it in 1992, maybe. Um, Or at least liked it more than I do now. Um, Because there's, like you said, a lot of stuff that for 1992 seemed progressive. But for today, you're like, what the hell? What it, you know, what am I watching? And, And then, and I'm just gonna say it now. It's, you know, a sausage fest movie. There's not a lot of women. <laughs> mostly nope. side, they die or they're mostly sidelined uh, or they go crazy, you know. Um, and and the one prominent woman, this girl who I know, Marco, redhead, you're in love, whatever. But yes. what about her? We never learn anything about her. We learn more about her dad than her. Why would he even care about this girl? Because she's reasonably attractive. I mean, we don't learn anything about her. She's never sketched out. She's never made into a fully formed human being. She's like, you know, she's very schizophrenic in that one day, one moment she's like, oh, my my school dance or whatever it was. And then the next moment she's a freedom fighter. I, You know, I mean, you're going to get whiplash with that. So um, very disappointed in the lack of, of women in this movie. Um, but again, for 1992, pretty damn typical. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the downfall of her character is she really only existed to move PK's story along. Yeah. Yeah. And she she was basically a dead wife trope, but you know, girlfriend. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yep. By the end, it's just, you know, it's more it's more fridging. It's more, you know, and, and she doesn't have a lot of agency. She doesn't need to have agency because she's, she's a pretty object to be desired. And then, uh, yeah. And then that's it. But to be fair, that's fairly representative of the apartheid Afrikaner, uh, society. It's extremely patriarchal. True. Where, where women had a purpose and that purpose was to marry them off and make alliances with other families and hold on to power, which is basically the heart of this movie. It's all it is. That's all apartheid ever was. Is like a desperate uh, 
grab for power, the continual grab of power. Right. Uh, which, I mean, they're still dealing with those uh, ramifications now. Right. Well, I, but I, I think you can, you can have an empowering story for women, even during times of great repression of, um, of feminism and inequality. So yeah. I, and, and I mean, my complaint isn't that she wasn't a strong woman. It's that we don't know shit about her. We never, exactly. you know, they never fleshed her out and made her fully human. And I she want had a freckles. Three, you know, she was gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> exactly. You know, opinions <laughs> like that. This is why we're still dealing with the fridging shit today. Like, I read an article. I don't watch the show, but this new Law and Order show, this one with that with one of the detectives from the original came back or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they killed off his wife. Spoiler alert, okay, if you watch this show. Uh, How dare you. But they killed his wife off, and that spurs him into action to join this mafia task force or some shit. Um, so even today, we're still dealing with this stupidity. You know, I, I just one of these days, I just want to see – Somebody make a movie about the husband and son getting killed and the wife spurs into action and then have all these macho men who think that it's okay, that the dead wife trope is okay, watch it and see if it makes them uncomfortable, you know, because they they would probably, oh, that's so dumb. A a woman would never do that. Well, it's dumb the other way around, too. It's just old. Stop it. Yeah, I and sometimes I actually find it refreshing when it's like, oh that male character is really underwritten the same way a female character would normally be in a, you know, in a, in a movie that was centering men. And um, it's like, I bet men hate this movie. And it's like, Oh yeah, men, men do not like this movie. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah. uh, I, but yeah, Mark, I mean, that's, the point it's like, Oh, she's cute. And she has freckles and, that's all I say you, and I don't just mean you, Mark. I mean you and me and male surrogate audience cares about. Like, that's all you care about um, because this isn't that story. It, it's like, oh, all, all we need to know is that PK's our hero and he's got a cute girlfriend and we just have to think she's cute enough to like root for him and then be sad when she dies. And I wasn't sad. I I was a little shocked that they killed. I did. I did not see that coming, but you know, I, I, I was like, Oh, you know, (laughs) because I had no emotional connection to her. No, there was no emotional stakes there to, in my Mm -hmm. mind. And there was no chemistry between the two actors, I thought. So that didn't help either. It didn't seem realistic. I think there was. Eh, I don't know. I I, I thought the, the love story was cutesy uh, in an otherwise very heavy movie. Yeah. And that may be the sole reason why she was there. Because this movie is really heavy. Uh, we spoke about this off camera. I guess we can call it that. Off camera, uh, yeah. <laughs> we spoke about this, uh, and uh, Mel- uh, Melissa made the initial statement a few days ago where she said that she can't stand seeing children suffer, and I can't process that either. In the first 40, 50 minutes of this movie, like, Jesus Christ, man, like, they, they put that kid through so much. 
loses his father, loses his mother, gets pissed on, gets tossed around from house to house, loses nanny, loses grandfather figure. Like he just loses so damn much. Um, so like, I wasn't sure I was going to like this. Cause I was like, if this is all there is like, Jesus, man, this is the wrong week to be doing this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, the, the higher concept here is the apartheid movement and uh, the Afrikaner government. And I think they handle that fairly well. And, uh, the, I, and I get Melissa's criticism about, you know, the, the you know, the, the redheaded girl. I don't even, I don't even know her name. That's how exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I get that criticism, but I also understand that they needed to bring something to soften the, the main uh, conceit of this movie. Cause it's, it's very heavy. Very heavy. They could have done that, or they could have had a little less torture porn. Because I feel like that's I, I hear you. Ninety percent of this movie was is torture porn, and you know those books like that that the suburban uh, white women read, and so they can clutch their pearls and feel better about their lives. Those books where usually people of color are just suffering throughout the whole thing, pretty much. Um, yeah. That's what this felt like in movie form because there's people who are really into that, the, the suffering porn, the torture porn. It's disgusting. And I I don't know who the hell wrote this movie, but I feel like they that's what they're into as well. And so they put us through that as well because there you could have softened this movie like like you mentioned being pissed on in the shower. I mean, that poor kid was dripping in it. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And they they kept the camera on him dripping in urine for quite a while that was very uncomfortable how long they did it at first i was like well maybe they're just trying to make us see how much you know how hard this was but then when it just went on and on it it began to feel like they crossed a line between showing us what he suffered and you know just just getting off to the suffering and and another reason why i think it was that was what was happening is that they just the people who are behind this like the torture porn okay so like usually when something terrible happens to someone at the beginning of a movie they have some kind of moment like uh, almost like a eureka moment or a triumphant moment at the end where you can at least felt like their struggle was worth it you know and I never felt like we got that with this movie. Um, there was no like Andy Dufresne coming down the shit pipe and right. you know what I'm saying? Right. And, and raising his arms in the air. And I know that's a Hollywood thing. And I'm not saying everything has to have that Hollywood moment, but if any movie fucking earned a triumphant moment, it was this. I mean, even like PK getting into Oxford on a full scholarship was just kind of like, well, here you go. Here's your letter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There was yeah. no there was no triumph which leads me to believe that that showing uh, you know him overcoming was never the point the point was the suffering do, do you yes. do, am i making I, it, no no it very 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 valid criticism however i think that's the point of the movie that shit can get worse and it will uh because this is only one guy yeah it's the power of one but it's only one guy and until and it says it at the very end, uh, where it says, "Until the many come together as one, this won't end." And I mean, it took a lot more than that. It took a lot of violence to end apartheid, and we can have that discussion later on. But I think that's the point of the movie. Like, 
yeah, there are a little a couple of victories here and there, but you know, it, it, we ended up in the same place, if not worse. And that's just the way of the world. That's how horrible apartheid was. Yeah, and I I think this this movie, which I'll I'll start. Well, let me go back on this. This uh, this began as a book by uh, Australian South African writer George Courtney. Uh, was born in South Africa, moved to Australia, uh, and wrote wrote this book about um, about young PK. Uh, it is one of the best selling novels in Australia ever. Uh, which is interesting, uh, and then and then they made it into uh, into the movie here, and I I just I I don't know it it feels very of that um, of that piece that this is like a sort of well intentional well intentioned liberal white male view of of everything and it ends up being sort of reductive because apartheid's so complicated and um I don't think that he fully got everything um I also think that this story is like bananas and there's way too many things going on in in all of this it's like you've got you don't even have Steven Dorff show up until the movie is halfway over mm-hmm. and you've got, you've got little kid PK for the first 30 minutes. And then you've got another 30 minutes of him uh, as like a 12 year old in the prison with Morgan Freeman. Uh, and then you have, you know, 18 year old PK. And, and they could have all been played by Steven Dorff because he's that tiny. That's my obligatory <laughs> Steven Dorff joke for JB who couldn't be with us. And I, I just know he would have wanted to land that joke. Oh, no. He's so tiny. He is so tiny. I can't, I can't wait until next week when we can be like, wait, why was Steven Dorff like, <laughs> going to be the action villain in this movie? Yeah. Like what what happened? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh Steven Dorf, aka uh dollar store uh version of Leonardo DiCaprio. Um when you couldn't get Leo, you got Steven. So Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> but true. And and but he I mean he's doing his best with this material, but ultimately I feel like this narrative is just all over the place. It is trying to be so many things. Which is why I, I don't like the ending. Like, what was the yeah. point of all this? What what was the point? You know, it, it, it just felt like a a random line. It's like a movie should be a line from one point to another. You know, there's got to mm-hmm. be a reason for the story to exist. There's got to be a resolution. And there never was one. You know, it just... And I get what you're saying, Marco, like, you know, it, it's about apartheid and how far we have to go or whatever. And, and, and I get that. But if if it was really about apartheid, then they shouldn't have focused on a damn white kid. They should have focused right. on black people. You right. Know? But but and I'm going to counter with nothing comes to the consciousness of 
white folk until it affects somebody that looks like them. And well, we got to remember, apartheid, apartheid did not end until what, late 1994, or was it? Because I remember it was my senior year. Um, it, yeah, it was. No, it was past my senior year. Okay, I'm getting my dates missed, but I think it was 1994 when apartheid ended. This movie came out, uh, what, 90, what? 92. 92. So the purpose of this movie was to piss you off sufficiently to have that conversation about apartheid and how devastating apartheid was to the African people. Are you sure? Um, because why spend half the, if that's what it was, then why well, spend half the movie showing this kid getting pissed on or hung from a rope or, or be, you know, because rocks thrown at him by Nazis? That has nothing to do with apartheid. Because uh, to 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 uh, paraphrase Matthew McConaughey in another movie he made, oh boy. Uh, imagine it's a white kid uh, to convince oh, uh, the jury. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, especially during that time, and we, it, it even applies to now, um, if white folk don't see themselves as suffering along with the subjects who are suffering they don't, it doesn't resonate with them. And I'm, I'm generalizing and I hate that I'm generalizing because there are so many good, great, beautiful white folk out there that are fighting alongside with uh, black folk and black communities and in people who are oppressed and the people of color. We, we have Andy, who's one of the most beautiful souls I've ever met. Uh, who, I just love him. Oh, hush. No, no, you Thank are, you. man. Uh, and so, so I hate that I'm generalizing, but it applied as a whole, like the white consciousness, especially in the nineties, if you don't affect them to where they feel that pain and it has to be representative of them, that it just, it won't resonate with them. And I'm talking about the nineties, you know, hopefully things have changed and I do see the needle moving. It needs to move a lot more, but um, if we yeah, and we're talking about the '90s. I think that's that's why this movie was made the way it was. And uh, I'm I hate that <laughs> when this movie came out while well, I was in the valley, and these movies just didn't survive in the valley because you know if it wasn't shoot 'em up. Uh, you know they just weren't going to be in the movie theaters. Um, but I think if this movie was seen by the right people, those conversations, you know, were had. And, and two years after this movie was filmed um, or released, Apartheid did end. And I'm not saying the movie was the catalyst, by not by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. The, uh, we'll, when we get to the box office, we'll talk about people did not see. This. Right. But uh, I mean, I'd like, no. anything to create the conversation to bring attention to it, I think is worthwhile. Yeah. I, I, at the same time, like Mark, thank you for, Thank you for saying nice words about white people, and I appreciate that. But I, I think that there is a real need to decenter whiteness in all of our cultural conversations, and the the idea that like even a, a message has to be sugar coated um, to like get a white person to care. Like Mark, I think you're right. But that is ultimately also what is wrong with the system. And we can't have stories of white saviorism 
where this guy is the rainmaker that all of the tribes are looking for, um, that that's what's going to, you know, that's what's going to make it all work. Because then, then white people think that's their job. Well, if I just show up and I center myself in, you know, the movement for black lives, then we can end this. It's like, no, you're going to show up and you're going to be problematic and you're going to piss off all of the people who have been doing this work for decades by being a Johnny come lately and pretending like, you know, what shit is. But when what you really need to do is you need to take a step back. You need to listen. You need to show up. You need to follow and be be willing to just be like, you know, this isn't about me. Where can, how can I help you? What do you need? And um, like, I so that's that's fundamentally why like this this movie I feel is very problematic in those aspects it's also i think it's also just laughable this crazy thing that they have set up in this movie that well you know the english colonialism in africa is somehow more urbane and more liberal and okay but it's just those those (laughs) afrikaners and their their nazi roots that that's the real problem but the english that's okay if if only the English had been in charge, then racism wouldn't have happened. It would have been okay. And I mean, I get it. Like the British occupation of say Ghana or Nigeria is not as bad as apartheid, but it was still really shitty. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's not an excuse. And it doesn't change I, the fact that you go to somebody's yeah. land and say, this is all ours now. Yep. Get the fuck away from me. We're going right. to put you in tiny little slums and you're going to have to line up a hundred at a time to take a shit because uh, y'all can only have one bathroom. Yeah. So it's, it's just, I, I don't know. I, it, again, why like, yeah, this movie sort of worked for me as like a kid in the nineties who like lived in a very, very white neighborhood uh, in a very, very white state um, where it's like, oh, yeah, I really do need to be more race conscious. And wow, apartheid, this is bad. And So you um, did see this in the theaters then? I didn't see it in the theaters. Um, the first time I saw this was, was either in an English class or a social studies class or something like that. Some teacher turned it on at the end of the year to, like, keep us mongrels quiet. Um, but I, I wish JB and Brooke were here so that they could back me up on this. I feel like this movie came in like the, like, um, Provo liberals in the nineties starter pack. It would be like this and swing kids and, um, I'm trying to think what else. But it's like, oh, yeah, like these weird 90s movies that were like also like, hey, we got to be like anti-Nazi and sort of progressive. But they're also like, wait, this was what was considered progressive in the mid 90s. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, for kids in Provo, yes, seem very progressive. Um, Yeah. 
but uh, I I did not see this in the theaters. Um, I I don't know if I would I I was not aware of this movie until many years after it had come out, until after apartheid was over at least. So, um, so you got me on on that one. Um, no, but it I don't know. It's just. I feel like it's such a weird microcosm of everything that is that is wrong with the inclinations of of the 90s and the fact that like you brought in the director of Rocky and the Karate Kid to <laughs> to make the movie because oh well hey there's this boxing subplot like we should Get the guy who made Rocky, right? He should should know better because those are both movies where people struggled and maybe even suffered, but had their triumph at the end. There's got to be something to work towards. Like, what did he work towards? His girlfriend getting murdered. You know what I mean? Like, it just... uh, That that just makes it even worse somehow. Like, he knew how to have a better... I'm not saying it had to be a happy ending because there's no happy endings there in this era but you know something give us something jesus in his defense he didn't write the movie he just directed it true but as a director he's got to have some kind of input about it you you know and and he accepted the script as is i mean i'm sure he read the script before he decided okay i'll direct this you know what i mean sure still know what he to blame you know i mean but I, i i do lay most of this at the screenwriter's because or screenwriter, I don't know if there's one or many. It, the, the it's so muddled that I it feels like there were probably multiple screen because you really could have told this. Story. It, it felt like more than one kid would kind of go through this. You know, like like this is like an amalgam of more than one kid's struggles or something. Kind of like um, I don't know if y'all have ever read the book or seen the movie The Joy Luck Club. Um, I love that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff happened to one person. But mm-hmm. it, it because it was so heavy, so much they broke it up over like yeah. three different families, yeah. um, and it feels like they sort of put together two stories of two different long-suffering kids to make like a proto-suffering archetype or something. You know what I'm saying? Like this just was so crazy. Um, yeah, I feel like whoever wrote this, and I'm sure it was a man because it was the 90s. I mean, how many women were writing movies, you know, in the 90s? Not many. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, none that got made, let's put it that way. Um, but, uh, you know, I, he's he's sort of like that stereotype of the pearl-clutching suburban white woman who reads the suffering porn to feel better about their lives. Like I said, and, and I, so I lay most of the blame for this atrocity at their feet. Yeah. The, the screenwriter was also the, uh, screenwriter of the karate kid movies. Um, (laughs) he, who's also had a fascinating career. Uh, the karate kid was partially semi autobiographical. No way. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, he he studied karate to defend himself from uh local bullies when when he was a kid and uh he, but he also wrote um taps uh no the way. third lethal weapon movie uh a walk in the clouds huh. the fifth element Ooh, I love the fifth. uh kiss of the dragon like an anomaly now like some blip some weird 
blip on his map because this doesn't fit in with any of those movies. This is crazy. Yeah, no, this was, I think this was very obviously like um, some sort of work for hire thing. They're like, hey, adapt this book. And I mean, Melissa, and I think you're probably right. This script probably went through many people and they just kept his name on it. Um, Mm -hmm. There are so many people doing uncredited rewrites on these things. And in the 80s and 90s, a lot of women doing uncredited rewrites Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. on things. Um, because One of those was Carrie Fisher. One of those was Carrie Fisher. Mm -hmm. Well known as an incredible script doctor. Script doctor, like, hey, this is unworkable. Please make it work. She was so yeah. genius. Well, whoever she the script was. doctors were on this, they did not make it work. Because even Morgan Freeman <laughs> couldn't make this movie good. And Morgan Freeman has that that presence that just elevates everything. You know what I'm saying? And and mm-hmm. ugh, like <laughs> he, he, even he, I mean, he, he, it's always better when he's in a movie, you know. But but he just couldn't. I mean, there's only so much he could, even he can do, you know. Right. Well, and I think I think it's part of the, you know, the suffering porn and mm-hmm. the fact that he's used in that way is is what makes it so hard because he, Freeman right here, he's right in between um, the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, which was a massive blockbuster success and a, a good paycheck for him and greater prominence for his work. And then a couple of years later, Shawshank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's he's sort of he's about to go into that mid 90s run where he just did tons and tons and tons of phenomenal films. Um, seven. And I, I, I don't know. I won't even try to name them all. No, it's it's way too many. He, play, he plays many. God. He plays the president. He plays Nelson Mandela. Yep. He, he just goes on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's going in. Yeah. Even further into the even next further in, yeah. where he, but yeah, he's, I mean, but he's, he's starting to really come into his own. And this was like a weird blip in there where it's just like, Oh, that didn't work. Well. And when, when asked about it, he was like, yeah, that didn't turn out as well as I hoped. <laughs> I think that's how everybody felt about wow. this movie. They're like, Mm. I you know but I I didn't hate the movie I I actually I, oh, I don't hate it I liked it for what it was it's it. just <laughs> it's just that I was in the very much in the wrong mindset for for this at, at, you know it just it wasn't the right time but I, I mean I do appreciate the movie for what it is I mean it's flawed and it, it needs some fixes and we'll go, we'll get into that but I think you know for somebody who knows who knew nothing about uh, Africa, African people, or even the apartheid, um, even though I didn't see this movie until decades afterwards. Like, I think if I would have seen it when it was out, I my curiosity would have been spurred on a lot more than what it was by watching TV and, and the news. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around what apartheid, apartheid was because, you know, things were all pretty screwed up where I was at. Uh, so, I didn't fully understand it. And I think if I would have seen this, I would have at least been, I would have been better informed as to what was going on over there and how bad yeah. it was. 
Right. And that's yeah. really bad that that would have been your best information, like right about it. You know what I mean? Um, but but I mean, the, I'm like the internet existed in '92, but only rich people had it. You know, it, it was not. <laughs> you know, this was like it was only dial-up and America Online. I remember cost five dollars an hour. Can you imagine paying five dollars for yeah. an hour of internet that you consumed, y'all? We'd all be broke. I mean, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, I mean, I remember Yahoo used to be like, it, instead of searching, because there was no Google, you, you just clicked a letter of the alphabet and every website that started with that letter was uh, listed. That's I how remember that. That's how different it was. So I understand that like, you may not have had a lot of information access to it. And I mean, like, we got our, where do we get our information? Encyclopedias or the news. And mm-hmm. in the news, you had to go to a library, which the further, the nearest one to me was still pretty far, which funnily enough, Marco used to work at that same library yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, years later. Um, uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I understand that. And so I think if this was a lot of people's first exposure to apartheid, uh, I, I guess in a way that it's more good than bad. At least they learned something, but um, I, I think they also sort of get the wrong idea about it because I, I feel like the I, by centering a white kid in this movie, you get the idea that white people could save it all and change it all. And they could help. And, and it, it took their help too, of course, like any kind right. of racism, we need white people to buy into it or it won't change, which is why it hasn't changed after all these years. I mean, it's gotten right. better, but it hasn't stopped because, you you know, and same thing with like, you know, um, with equality, like of the genders, men have to buy into it and help or else because if, if it was all if women could do it all, we would have done it by now years ago. True. You know? Right. True. Uh, so I understand that. But the problem I have it, and and this is a problem I have with like like charities that go like, oh, I'm going to Mexico to build a school for the poor people. Mexicans know how to build their own fucking schools, okay? They, right. they know how to do this, you know? Because the the way I see it, and I'm not saying don't go to Mexico and build a school. I'm saying that there's other ways to help instead of just doing shit for them, you know, cause you're not right. change their station in life by just doing it for them. Do you understand the policies, the reasons why they can't afford to build those schools? That's what needs to change. And, and exactly. this is the problem I have with a lot of these things. When you center whiteness, you're implying that white people can do it all and save it all. And, and that's it with apartheid. That wasn't it. You know, Yes, it took some white people to make the system change, but who pressured them? Who who did they look to to understand that their previous thoughts about black people were wrong? Do you understand? Black right. people, you know, and they're not getting any credit here for anything. And it, it's it really makes me mad because uh, there's so many examples of this even to this day. Um so if this was your only or first exposure to apartheid, you're here thinking white savior. And there's so much more to it than that. And, and so again, maybe more good than bad in that sense, but giving you the wrong damn idea and, and the wrong approach in your thinking to it. Like you learn about the atrocity, 
But did you learn how to stop it? Did you learn what could be done? Did you learn anything except white savior? Not from this movie, you didn't. No. Nope. Does that make sense? Like, I, I hope I'm saying this right because, you know, and again, I'm not saying don't give to charity. I'm saying think about the charity you give to and do those poor kids in Africa really need you to go over there and build them a well or do they need to stop the oppression that prevents materials from getting to them so they can exactly. build their own goddamn well? Do you understand? Right. Um that's how I see this movie. It's like the charity that means well, but is very condescending in how they try to quote unquote help you. Totally. Totally. And that's totally it. And speaking uh, for white people here, like, and for white men specifically, like I view my duty is to dismantle those largely invisible systems that give me the privileges that I unfairly have in society. That's, that's what I need to do. And then I need to get out of the way and let the people who they, they know what their freedom looks like. They know what they want. Just let them have it. Just take the boot off of their neck that's my job and that's my job as a man to dismantle patriarchy and that's my job as a white person to dismantle structural racism and this movie no matter how well intentioned said that well you know my job is to unite all the tribes and be loved and beloved by everyone and then go and teach them english because that's you know, and, and then that's going to change everything. And it's not that that doesn't help, but, you know, it's, but that's not, that's such an easy fix. Right. As um, if it was simple anyway, because the whole yeah. dynamics of the tribes of South Africa is so fucking complicated right? with its share of uh, violent uh, pasts. I mean, it's, it's not as simple as like, oh, there's going to be this one person who's going to just unify the hell out of everybody. Thank God for this white savior. I mean, it was never going to be that simple. It still isn't. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that I, I went down a little rabbit hole with uh, the Rotten Tomatoes page on this movie, which guess what this movie is at in terms of its Rotten Tomatoes average? Um, Minus two. Yeah. Uh, it's a per, it's per, percent of critics who who thought it was good or bad in the 90s or now like, yeah this, these were uh well i think most of them were concurrent it looked like okay. uh i think there are a couple that are of the DVD very different today um i'm gonna go with it's gonna be in the 40s I, i'm gonna say mid 60s maybe I, I think probably critics liked it and thought it was great no, actually, no? Mark's closer. Thirty nine percent. Good. Um, it des- it uh, deserves worse, but whatever. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert had a really great review. He gave it a two and a half out of four. Um, and uh, he says the power of one begins with a canvas that involves all of the modern South African dilemma, and ends as a boxing movie. 
somewhere in between it loses its way. Um, he also says, and let me find this quote. Hang on one second. Um, uh, okay. He said that the nature of the troubles of South Africa, quote, are too complex to be reduced to a formula in which everything depends on who shoots who. Uh, and I just, I feel like that was very knowing by Ebert to be just like, this movie's all over the place and it doesn't really get at the nuance of what's needed here. And um, I, I, I just really resonated with what he wrote in 92 looking at this and I'm like, Wow. Um, I don't always agree with Ebert, but Yeah, was, I don't always agree with good. either, but you know, I feel like he did do more in terms compared to other uh critics of his era. It, it, it like he understood a little better the underlying things about society that you know what I mean? Like just a little, not a lot, but, you know, he still could be clueless. But I have to admit, I've read some reviews from him that I'm like, huh. He kind of knew a few things, like more than I thought, because growing up, I just remember thumbs up and thumbs down. Like that was it. <laughs> it was reduced to that, that little cliche with with Siskel. Right. But right. Uh, yeah, he, he he sometimes he's impressed. Other times I'm like, really? But, you know, yeah, I always uh, liked him. Yeah. And so did I. You know, he wrote a book about using your rice cooker to cook full meals. And I, I, I think that's probably his best book. Like, compared to wow. stuff. I, I bought that book and I really enjoy it. You know, I have a, it's, it's a little more high tech than most rice cookers, but it, I've used a lot of those recipes. It's a, that book's kind of fun, y'all. I think that's rated. Wow. Ebert was a visionary, you know, doing everyone's like instant pot. It's the new thing. Ebert was like. <laughs> In the 2000s, like, you know, you can use your rice cooker to cook a whole meal, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, that's I, awesome. I liked him, too, though. I did. Yeah. Overall. And and the way he pushed uh, some, a lot of niche films, um, especially ones that came from, uh, you know, di different directors who weren't getting um, a lot of, a lot of love. Um, like he, he really pushed better luck tomorrow, um, after it came out of Sundance and that's like now seen as like this great watershed moment for, um, so many Asian American creative people, uh, like to be able to work in the industry, to have this like sort of their story be, um, be put out there and, Again, but it's not that Ebert was a white savior, but he was using his privilege and his microphone to be like, y'all check this out over here. This is this is what you should be looking at. And um, I think that's I think that's really great. Um, So I, maybe that. No, 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 I won't. We won't get there until later. Um, We haven't talked about. Um, Daniel Craig, though. Cause, so, because uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Why? He's such a dick in this movie. Like, 
God, he's literal so Nazi. He's a little Nazi. Yeah. But do you literal think his performance was good? I I didn't find him to be menacing enough. I I, I don't know. I thought that the teenage version of his character was far more menacing. Well, because he wasn't pissing on people as an adult, but. I mean, nobody he had a gun as an adult, which he didn't have as a teenager. So, you know I, I what think I'm saying? Plenty menacing. Like, you I could see the hatred in his eyes. I just thought he was worse as a teenager, so it was scarier. Yeah. He, or well, I think the size differential little, was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, the difference between a, a big 17 year old and a little six year old is huge. And, you know, but like a, but like a pretty stacked 29 year old versus a 28 or versus an 18 year old who's kind of little, like that's, I don't know. It, yeah. It's, it's not quite as menacing, but I don't know like who else they were going to get for this. I mean, well, um, you know, I think well, he, he encapsulated the result of indoctrinating children with hate in the beginning of the movie, when um, PK goes to the boarding school, you have a priest preaching about how black people are cursed and he uses the Bible. Okay. Hang on. Did that priest not look like Ted Cruz? I can't go back, go back and watch it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. It's nice that Ted Cruz showed up to indoctrinate these children about Nazis. <laughs> that would make so much sense. He's, he's got the Ted Cruz beard. To Mexico. Ugh. Oh, yeah. I hate Ted Cruz. I fucking hate his ass. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, no, but, Tangent. But, but, and but we're like, Texans, uh, by the way. We are native Texans. Okay. We are, and we, yeah. and we hate him. Uh, but like, the kids were indoctrinated in such a way, they grow up to be like Daniel Craig. Like, they're not physically imposing but it's the power that's afforded to them that is the scary shit because uh, so like I, I i was a migrant kid i was a, uh, you know i came from a migrant uh, working family and you know we had to do field work and all that and we were always all scared of certain white folk that had power a lot like a lot like uh, black folk now are just so afraid when they see the cop lights turn on because you never know how that's going to end and uh, frequently now it, it's been ending in very lethal ways um we had the same kind of fears and these dudes weren't imposing they're like these skinny scrawny little shits like almost like barney fife motherfuckers but they they carried a gun and they had badges and like of course you were scared of that Right. And, and they got to be that way because they're indoctrinated since they were children. And that's the part that disturbed me the most about this movie. You know, when uh, young Daniel Craig uh, is doing the whole Heil Hitler and, you know, rallying the Nazi youth. That to me was more disturbing than a lot of the other stuff. That, well, of course, I mean, uh, Morgan Freeman getting killed by, by the guard is pretty damn disturbing. Yeah. Right. But it just... Hatred starts at a very young age, y'all, and it's not—it's not ingrained in anybody. It is taught. It is learned, and that's the part that I struggle with the most. That there's grown-ass people who are still indoctrinating children with hatred. Like fuck, it's still happening. Um, right. And they use 
different ways to justify them and religion still being used to justify hatred. And it's fucking disgusting. And it's a big reason why I moved into agnosticism and atheism because I'm just so done with all that. Um, and, and that the fact that the movie begins this way is just, I think it was effective, but it just, it, it set me off in, in, you know, in a bad way. Yeah. Melissa is part of why the young Botha character more scary than the Daniel Craig version, partially because he murders his chicken. <laughs> like that is, oh, I that cried. was so, I, I so awful. Mad. I never thought, cause fried chicken's delicious y'all. I eat a lot of fried yeah. chicken. I had some today as a matter of fact. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would never normally cry at the <laughs> chicken dying. It's just, there's a, it's a chicken. There's like a billion more on earth probably. You know what I mean? Um, right. It, you know, I, I eat their unfertilized offspring all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They're delicious, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I don't think it was the chicken. I think it probably had more to do with the Nazi shit, but you know, right. uh, well, but it was his pet and it was yeah. like the thing that got pet, him over his fear. Let me tell you something. I, uh, the 20-minute mark of this movie, because I was watching a digital copy so I could see the timestamp, um, the 20-minute mark of this movie is when he met the pianist, right? The the Or when he started learning piano, right? Yeah. So the first 1959 of this is like all the torture porn it, it, with more to come, right? But at this point, I had reached my limit, and it was right around then that I, I was about to give up on this movie, and I was going to message you privately Andy, and just tell you, like, look, I tried, but I'm not in the right headspace for this, you know, and I, I have to, I'm going to just, like, call off this week, and I'll, I'll join you guys next week for Blade, you know, because I just didn't know if I could handle it, you know, but I thought there's got to be a reprieve somewhere, there's got to be a moment of, of, you know, like a little oasis somewhere for this poor kid, you know, um, because it, it was... the the chicken dying believe it or not was like almost my breaking point with this movie because he had gone through so many indignities already and that was his only fucking friends you know what i mean like it's just it was too much It, it 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 was i was beginning to feel bogged down and i think just in case people are gonna like listen to this way later like we're in the second year now of this pandemic COVID-19. And I think we're all just, our headspaces are not where we'd like them to be, most of us, you know? Um, It's just really hard. It's been over a year now we've been going through this, and we live in a state, Texas, where our governor is basically trying to kill us. And, you know, he, it's just, um, it's a lot right now. There's a lot going on in the world. And then the stuff that Marco alluded to earlier, and, and I think Andy too, when you were talking about uh, these racial atrocities that are happening in like today, just a couple hours ago, before we started recording, another Asian person got attacked in New York City. Another dead black man, unarmed and not violent. You know, it, it's just all these things piling up. And send to watch because it, you know, if this was an adult going through all this, it would still be sad.
but I think I would take it easier. But I'm very sensitive to kids suffering like this. You know, it, it really, it's just, yeah. you know, I have a past history with it and, and myself, which doesn't help. But I would like to think even if I hadn't been through some shit myself as a kid that, you know, this is too much. This should be too much for anybody to watch a kid go through. And that moment actually was like almost the moment where I was like going to message you like, Andy, I can't do this, man. You know what I mean? Like, I understand this is a good bridge movie because it has Daniel Craig, who we've been talking about with Bond, and it has uh, Shorty McShorterson, you know, who we're going to talk about, (laughs) right? Um, But it's, uh, that one was for you, JB. Um, But it's, it's, you know, it's so it's a perfect bridge movie because I doubt these two have ever been in any other movie again. But it, ugh, it was a slog, and that's putting it really nicely, tough, you know. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think it had anything to do with the chicken that I thought, you know, because he murdered a chicken. But I think most of it was the Nazi stuff because, like, to this day, like if a Nazi shows up in a movie, I I freak out a little, you know, because it's still a threat even today, you know, like there's still Nazis today. Um, yeah. and they freak me out. So I think that had more to do with it, but, but that moment though, was almost a linchpin for me to just quit this movie. I almost did. And I got to say, I'm glad I got through it. I'm kind of proud of myself, but I don't ever need to watch this fucking movie again. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I am sorry. Like I, it, this it is one of the reasons I wanted to revisit it because like, I don't remember that. And it's like, I, I had blocked a lot of that. I'm like, I remembered like uh, the, the beginning of this movie is pretty tough. There's a, they really put the kid through a lot. And then I'm like, Oh wow. No, this is the entire first hour of the movie is just yeah gut wrenching. And, um, yeah, it's it's a really hard watch. Thank you, Melissa, for powering through it. But yeah, uh, I don't think I need to revisit this again after this because I'm, uh, you know, I've again I've I've seen. Oh yeah, it was '90s problematic in all the ways that I sort of expected it to be, uh, and I think it's it's better left uh, in that past Um, because there are, if we're looking at like, what are some ways we can learn about apartheid? um, I would say we should not center that narrative on a white kid, even as well-intentioned as this was. You know, I will say this about the chicken. It didn't bother me because we used to see my grandma. We used you to see, monster. No, dude. We used to see my grandma go out, grab a chicken by the neck, and like swing it around, and then just basically get a paring knife and just cut its throat. Well, that's different, though. That's that's well, not that's not murdering a pet in front of a kid. I mean, like to see your grandma do that, though. Like, and she did it with such ease that it would freak us out. And she was mm. like, uh, my grandma was kind of abusive. No, that kind of, kind of isn't what we should say. She, she really was. So like, we were always kind of freaked out about her. I, I had no real affection for her growing up, but like, I, I, I mean, we saw it all the time. So when I saw the chicken thing, I was like, oh, okay, they're, they're going to kill a chicken. 
I was I was more affected by them pissing on PK. Oh and yeah. Like, and like did it did it have to be included? Like could could we just not have inferred that it happened? Like yeah, to that see was that. way too graphic. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, like that was the like, worst out of all of the stuff he went through. Like just in terms of visual, I think. Yeah. Well, like in movies where rape happens, and I understand where rape has to be involved because it's part of the story and, and you know it's it's important to the story. I get it. Uh effective movies have just alluded to that happening. I hate watching movies where they show it happen because what the fuck? Like who the fuck needs to see that? Like, and I, I kind of understand the argument is that you have to see how the, the violence of it to be turned off. But like, I don't need to be turned, turned off. I'm already turned off by just the word rape. I don't need right. to see it. So like, I really hate that they showed it. And like Melissa said, it's like almost like 40 seconds of the piss dripping off of PK's head. Like it's a lot. Did, did we? Yeah. Was that necessary? Like, it come on, Karate Kid guy. Yeah. That's like, why I said this is torture porn, man. Is that, I don't know what else to call it. It's I I don't and you know if they because by that point we already sympathize with this poor kid. Yeah. Like that's just overkill. Right. And so one of the other, not that this excuses it, but um in the book uh his his name is not pk standing for philip kenneth what whatever it was um it was just that was the name that the bullies gave him because uh pisskoff or pisshead um in afrikaner so um that was i i for whatever reason i'm sure they felt that that was very important and formative and they needed to show that that graphically. I don't know. I agree with you. It was, it was gratuitous and indulgent and terrible in, in all the ways. Um, and yeah, we, we did not need that. Um, but yeah, very, very disturbing, but it, uh, for me, the the chicken murder is, you know, the the thing about, you know, serial killers, you know, killing small animals, um, and and that's what it, um, sort of signified to me is that you know they weren't they weren't killing the chicken to like make dinner, um, they were doing it just to bully this kid, and uh, probably because violence was fun to them and and that's that's terrible um but yeah it's the the torture porn of it all it's it's pretty terrible um any anything else have we we glossed over anything else or do we want to talk about some of the get into our our other basic stuff i think we pretty much covered the movie Yes, I've told everybody how much I hate it. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. One other thing, Mark, I think you wanted to talk about um, is the music. Now, oh, God. I, I love I love a good African chorale. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I will say. I will leave this movie behind, but this score. Mm-hmm. And, Horner. Yeah, it's Horner. And uh, the score and the songs are both 
incredible yeah. and, and really beautiful music. And it's funny, um, the, this music will show up a lot of times as um, temp tracks in like trailers or something. I'm like, oh, they're recycling that mm-hmm. from the power of one again. Um, I'll just hear it in a, because it's like mildly inspirational music that is easy to license um, while they're getting the actual score ready. So, um, yeah, interesting when whenever I hear it show up. I, I agree. Um, the score is nice. The the when they sing, it's really nice. The only thing I didn't like was when PK was like basically like conducting them or something, and that yeah. was marching. He was marching. I was like, oh, this is so white savior. Like, oh, these black people who've been singing the whole time we've seen them need this little white boy to give him permission to sing. Like, you know, well, he wrote the song though. Like I'll, I'll I'll give him I'm gonna to come to his defense here because he wrote the song. Uh, his grandfather dude laid down the music, but he wrote the lyrics. So no, yeah, yeah, uh, yes. Well, no, because it was it was what the it was what the they were already saying, wasn't it? Well, he or put did... he he put everything together, and uh, Morgan Freeman was advising him as to what what to put together. But like right. he wrote, he actually wrote the song. So I mean, like the, but the Beatles maybe made rock and roll more famous worldwide, but they didn't invent that shit. Yeah, that was black. Well, of course, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know but, but, that's sort of the that's same. a good analogy, though. Yeah, I don't know if if there was like a poem by Maya Angelou, and and there was a a classical musician who like put who had music and then like you put both of those together, like you didn't write that song. So I think that's, but it's, that's the, it's the arrangement that, I mean, dudes. Okay. Hip, that's what hip hop is right now. Like it's just pretty much stealing everybody else's ideas and meshing them together and coming up with a new unique sound. Like that's, except this okay. guy was doing it in South Africa. They have to pay royalties to the people who did it originally. <laughs> Well, That's the difference here. I'll have you. I'll have you take that up with 1940 <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I I think there's a little bit of difference between like Lil Nas X arranging a song to go with a clip from a Nine Inch Nails song, uh, and what it's the same you concept. Know. It's it's this is the. Uh, yeah. There's just too much of a racial component here to dismiss it that easily. I feel, you know. Um, well, I'm not dismissing it. I mean, it, people, it, you know, it is an African sound. Like it, it, the, the sound belongs to the African people. You know, there's, it. You know, okay. So when I hear this music, it reminds me of a lot of why I love Paul Simon's Graceland, and mm-hmm. uh, I love. I love Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon. I love 1970s Paul Simon. And I love the late 80s, mid 90s uh, Paul Simon African sound, the Afrobeat. Uh, and like he's clearly borrowing so heavily from uh, African rhythms, but he makes it his. And that album, Graceland, is just so damn awesome. So, I mean, if you're going to crap on PK, you also got to crap on Paul Simon. And, and I don't think, I don't think but, no, but it's the it, same. 
No, but some some guy in Africa didn't write the lyrics for "You Can Call Me Al." Like, that's that's one song did. though. But there's so there's so many songs in Graceland with African dialect that it, Paul Simon did not come up with that. Come on. Okay. Well. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, be you that can call as me it may, is a great song, by the way. Be that as it may, I I am still uncomfortable saying like the character PK wrote like it was his song. I again I feel like it's sort of weird white saviorism mm-hmm. stuff that like oh well I I'm going to put all of these pieces together and that I'm going to I'm going to make it work and I'm going to lead them. I don't know about that because you know what it, it, music history it, you know if you can go back hundreds of years uh Ravel's Bolero, where he borrowed from, uh, he borrowed specific uh, musical lines from uh, from uh, gypsies to make Bolero. Uh, I mean, he, he can go way back. I mean, borrowing is okay. I, I think borrowing and putting stuff together with your stamp on it is okay, I think. Um, y- yes and no. I the. I think the only reason why I really give this pause in just this is because I think that in as much as this movie like has a sort of undertone and lesson of white saviorism and this, like th- white people, this is what you should do um, that it becomes problematic in that sense. And I would have preferred that, that scene be done with like, yeah, he's sitting there on the stage and he's giving them some direction, but he's not dancing around and, and, you know, telling them to get up and directing them. It it just feels a little weird. It's this setting, you know, they're in a prison, right? Right. He's inspired by their singing and stuff. And he even asks, uh, what is his name? Piet about it or Morgan Freeman and stuff. And the thing is, you know, throughout history, you see in movies like black people singing like this, you see it like in movies that feature slavery and stuff. It was something they did, you know, singing was something that could get them through that, you know, the, their terrible day, their terrible existence. Sometimes it was something they, it was a tool they used, you know, it was a coping mechanism right. in a lot of ways. And so here's this little white kid like stand up let's sing you know what i'm saying like 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 they need his encouragement no you know it's just blech, you know it, yeah. <laughs> i don't know how else to explain it like this little white kid encourages the black people to get up and sing bitch they were singing the entire time you know what i mean it's just um you know and then to set it against the backdrop of morgan freeman's death you know it, it's um I don't know. It, it the whole thing was very uncomfortable to me. Like like I under, and the funny thing is, I was saying you know criticizing how there wasn't like a triumphant moment at the end. This was probably as close as you got, and it's still problematic. Yeah, the one the one thing I really did like is when the Afrikaner um, commandant like asked him to translate as yeah. he was yelling at everyone, <laughs> and he turned it around and was like. He wants you to sing so well, and like <laughs> that. W- I like that. The, again, like 
use your white privilege, people. Like uh, my my fellow white people, like that's how you do it. Um, like break down actual racism. You don't. But just oh man, dude, I used to do that as a kid. Yeah, I used to do work for our our landowner because we I was raised in a trader part, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I used to uh, do I used to cut yards and paint uh, all the underskirts of the traders and whatnot and. There's these two guys that he hired, and of course they only spoke Spanish. So uh, he asked me to translate. He was really pissed off because he was missing a lawnmower, and I just I didn't translate exactly what he wanted to say. And the two guys were they knew what I was doing. They were holding their chuckles. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I relate well, to that. Good. <laughs> Good. I anyway, I like that. But music, good. That's like I think what yeah, music what was good. This movie, like the one thing that I will really take um, from this. Okay, so this movie did not do well at the box office um, when it came out uh, the weekend of March twenty seventh through 29th, nineteen ninety two. Uh, it was number 14 Whoa. for the week. Wow. Not only not in the top five. <laughs> yeah. What was it uh, up against? I'm just curious. Uh, this this was actually a pretty stacked week. I will go through this. It's amazing how many of these movies you know. The number one movie of the week, new in theaters. Again, a uh, a connection to our next film. White men can't jump. Ah. <laughs> Wesley. So that was the number one movie. Number two, uh, down from number one the previous week, Basic Instinct. Mm. Number three, Wayne's World. Ah. Four, My Cousin Vinny. Number five, I, I want to see if either of you know this movie. Um, call out to my sister Kate, who I know knows this movie because she had the VHS and watched it many times because she was so in love with Jonathan Brandis, the comedy movie with him and Rodney Dangerfield. Ladybugs. Ladybugs. Yeah. Uh, is that that new this movie? week? Is it is what that, was that? Yeah. Is that the soccer movie? That's yeah. the soccer yeah. movie. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Where he he dresses up like a girl to play soccer. Uh, that was new this week. Number at number six, also new this week, another inspirational sports movie, also very 90s. One of my wife's favorite movies, The Cutting Edge. Uh, either of you know The Cutting Edge? Yeah. You know the hockey one? Uh, yeah, ice skating. Yeah, oh, get, get the hockey player to, to be with, your with the girl. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Uh, number seven, Fried Green Tomatoes, huh, eight, nice. The Lawnmower Man. Nine, a movie that we will cover in a few months, Beauty and the Beast. Um, number 10, American Me, the Edward oh, James Olmos yeah, movie. Yeah, almost... 11, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that movie beat this one? No. Oh, in its eighth week. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> that movie's uh, uh, at number 12 in its 10th week, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. 
Exactly. Okay. Uh, 13, The Prince of Tides. Huh, and then... Roberts. Yeah. And then uh, this is f- f- at 14, The Power of One. So um, those were well, all the movies it? that beat this. What, was it the advertising or did people just not want to see a movie about apartheid? I mean... I think uh, maybe I both. Both, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I can't imagine people were like, oh, this is something I really want to go see. Um, guess how much this movie made. How much? Well, first tell us uh, its budget. Um, how much? What? I, I couldn't find its budget. Oh, okay. Um, right. so I don't know. Interesting. Um, Thanks a lot, Andy. Sorry. <laughs> Blame the numbers.com and box office mojo. They didn't have the 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 budget numbers for this one. Take back everything I said about you. Yeah. Sorry, Melissa, what was that you said? I said I thought you were one of the good ones. Oh, yeah. I failed. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. Okay. Um no, so guess how much this movie made. Uh because you're laughing, I want to say it's a million bucks. This is almost 30 years ago, and I'm trying, I'm struggling to remember how much a ticket even cost back then. So I'm gonna 325. It was a yeah. 325. Okay, yeah. so yeah, between that's... three and five bucks, probably depending on where. And what was going. minimum wage like? 425 or something? So um... no, 92 was it was 325. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't four twenty five until like ninety five, ninety six. Right, right. Oh shit! Because my first job was four twenty five an hour. Still, so I my first I job was three twenty five. It must have just changed then, um, when when I got my first job. Because I'm pretty sure I got my first job in ninety five. Anyway, um, well, first paying job, I should say. Um, I'm gonna go with like something terrible, like four hundred thousand dollars or something. Oh, a a little more than that. Okay, but um. Mark was closer. I guess he wins the Price is Right game. Yeah. Their actual retail price without going over uh, $2.8 million. That's nothing. Like, can you imagine a movie coming out and making, I mean, in, I mean, the box office equivalent today is making like five or six million. This is a flop and a flop. half. This, I mean, even movies that are coming out during COVID are making more than this. This was not seen by anybody but it had a freckled redhead y'all oh god we're going back to this (laughs) good thing you won that box office thing because you've lost every argument tonight (laughs) 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 yeah uh so did not did not do well and i think uh speaks to the non-cultural impact of this movie um just you know was not was not well known so let's let's do studio notes. Is there a way to fix this movie? I think this narrative is so fundamentally broken. I just I don't think there's a way to fix it. I think you should scrap it. It, it. It's too many disjointed things thrown together, too much suffering. If it, if it were me, I would scrap it and maybe focus on Morgan Freeman's character and and you know tell this story about this era through his eyes you know what i mean um right instead of a white kid uh and yes they'll be suffering and they might take it in the direction of torture porn maybe but 
But I have also, but I doubt they would do that because I find that with black people, they don't do that as much. When it's a white kid, they really want you to see him suffer so you'll feel bad for him. You know what I mean? If it was a black person in 92, they might have been like, oh, well, he's in jail. But, you know, he did actually steal something. You know what I mean? Like there would be some kind of mitigating something to, to make us not sympathize with him as much. So my note would be focus on his character and tell the story through his eyes and i bet we learn way more about that era about south africa about apartheid because i'll tell you what like i learned more about apartheid just like reading trevor noah's book and he was only alive yes. 80 i don't know 80 some early 80s i'm guessing mid 80s i don't know how yeah, old. yeah 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 um do, do you, because it's a story of a black kid who was basically as the Book implies born a crime, yeah. Born a crime. yeah. Um, when you focus on that, and look, the kid was born there. I get it. He's he's native to South Africa, but his experience is very different. Um, I mean, look, he got still got even with all his suffering, he still got to go to this elite high school. He got into Oxford on a full scholarship. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Even as we saw him suffer in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, he's going to be all right in the end. The other right. people around him, not so much. It's like he's learning Latin on the chalkboard and like he he's teaching them like A-E-I-O-U. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, it's super privileged. Yeah. I think this movie can be fixed. Um, like Melissa, I would do some drastic changes. Uh, I would make PK the central focus of this movie. I would still have him in this movie as a conduit to rally white folks to end apartheid. Uh, But I would focus not on uh, Morgan Freeman's character, but on uh, the other guy, the the guy that gets uh, his eye poked and shot in the leg and loses the boxing match. I forget, I forget his name. Yeah. The Apollo Creed of this movie. The Apollo Creed of the movie, like focus on him because he is a Nelson Mandela type of character and I would like to focus on what it took to get apartheid to end. And what it took actually was quite a bit of violence on the part of Africans. Uh, that that's how they got that's how they got noticed. Uh, so I would I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, bring PK in. He, he can have a role, but he can't be the weight of the film. It has to be a real African person. Uh, and if you want to start the the movie and the story in the slums that we saw briefly, I would be all for that. That would make sense to me because I need yeah. to have a more textural feel as to what was really happening. Like, I don't need to know about privileged white people. We see that all the time. We've seen a gazillion movies of that. I want to feel the African experience. And like Melissa said, I got that textural feel from reading Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. Like, he's so descriptive of where he grew up, how he grew up, what it what it was like. That I got I got that textural feel, and that's what this movie's missing. But you can add it, and you can make this movie work, and keep the music. The music has to stay. Yes, yeah. the music can stay, just not conducted by a white boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, yes. If you so fundamentally change this, if you made this about the the black boxer. And then you center it on that story, and then PK, the the boxing gym, 
owner who's also a white ally. Yeah. And and then it's about how these white people are showing up and and laying down their privilege to help you in your quest for freedom, but your but the the black person is the leader. Um and it's centered on them, then yes, that's that's the story that I want to see. Um and I feel like that is, is yeah, very fundamentally different from this. Um but but yeah, that's that's the movie that that I'd want. But I that's like that's also has nothing to do with <laughs> George Courtney's story, which is centered on on his experience as a as a white kid growing up in Africa. And yeah, is problematic. Um we're gonna like forego most of the other like things. We're we're gonna transition. We're gonna stop doing the bond questions. So I'm not gonna ask you about texts or gadgets or even one-liners or quotes. Um, I'm gonna we're gonna keep best side character, and we're gonna keep asking that through um, uh, through season two. So who and Mark, you can't say Maria the redheaded. <laughs> oh God. Uh, who, Was that who's who the you best? Were say, Mark? <laughs> uh, no, 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 not at all. Okay. <laughs> Although she has a special place in my heart. Oh God! Uh, no, <laughs> the I mean the best side character is the black boxer. Uh, yeah. he's the one who spurs PK to to uh, forego Oxford and to join the fight. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, you know. It, it, he needed a catalyst, I think, um, mm-hmm. to get out of his own pain that I'm sure he had to have been feeling still from his childhood because it was so god awful, you know. Um, I think, you know, for once, it, the catalyst is not a dead wife or a white person, or you know, it, it's actually somebody who you would encounter in South Africa, a black person who's being oppressed, and um, so that was good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, and they didn't take it too far because they could have easily taken it into the, uh, like, you know, the, this trope about the magical black guy who, you know, like, uh, yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The magical African American friend. Yeah. Aggravance. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they mm-hmm. didn't go there. And I'm surprised because they took so many other things to blatant extremes, you know? I, I feel like Morgan Freeman was to a certain extent. Although he had kind oh, of a different okay. character trajectory. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I uh, it's but most of the black characters in this in this movie, I think sort of contribute to that quote or that trope, unfortunately. Mm. Um we're going to I'm going to ask is this a good movie? Uh, or a bad movie, but then I'm also going to ask, uh, we new for season two. I want to ask, is this a movie appropriate to show to young girls and in there to be formative? (sighs) So that's going to be, that's going to be fun. You can take that as, as, uh, 
young people in general, but um, I, especially when we're getting into Dolly Parton and the Disney princesses, I want us to deconstruct. Like, yeah. Yeah. Is this appropriate to be showing to young girls to be formative? Um, but first, is this a good movie or a bad movie? Terrible. Terrible. I, is it? Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to judge using the optics of the nineties. And I think, I think it's a good movie. Hmm. I'm I'm split in between the two of you, like on a purely aesthetic level. If I'm like uh, talking with like a film critic hat on or whatever, the film's narrative and themes are way too all over the place. It's message like from a social justice perspective is messed up. Is there something in there that's redeeming that I kind of like? Yes. I don't think that really makes it a good movie. I think it makes it a very flawed movie, but not a bad movie. If So I'm really splitting hairs here. I'm at like five and a half, six out of ten. Um, I'm not like, oh, it's terrible. This is a bad movie. Right. Um, I'm at like a one because it had Morgan Freeman. Oh, oh, oh wow. Whoa. Oh, wow. What did Steven Dorf ever do to you? <laughs> he was in this movie. He was in I, the power of one. That's what he did. He was in it for like five minutes because um, there was like two hours of mini versions of him. Uh, no, it look it, a lot of because I'd never seen it before. I watched it, you know, a few days ago. Um, if I'd seen it in the 90s, I might have thought different. I don't think I'd give it more than like a four or a five even in the 90s because, like you said, it's so jumbled. I don't know what the point is, you know. Um, but I I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors now. You know, I'm, I'm middle-aged. I've seen a lot. I have no patience for things that I might have had patience for 30 years ago, you know, when this came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And... Uh, I think just the time, like if we'd seen this a year and a half ago before the pandemic started, before all this anti-Asian violence, before George Floyd and this trial that's going on. And, you know, it's just so many things happening at once right now that I feel like watching torture porn, it's just not, it's just not something I want to do. And so I think that does color my, disdain for this movie you know um maybe you know a year and a half two years ago before things got so heavy maybe i would have given it like a three or a four it's still not a good movie but i really dislike the suffering of that poor child and uh Mm -hmm. yeah it just it almost made me physically ill because it was just too much you you know what i'm saying like actual no yeah totally fair Uh, i can appreciate that yeah so Morgan Freeman earns it a one <laughs> and that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. Um, I, I will admit um, I believe that the format that I saw this film in its first time uh, helped make it more palatable, which would have been watching it in uh, three or four consecutive 30 to 40 minute chunks in uh, uh 
a English class at the end of the year or yeah. social studies class or whatever it was. I don't even remember who showed this movie. But do you but, think your age maybe had something to do with it too? Like you weren't oh, so yeah. bogged down in the realities of the world and how awful it can be sometimes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've just, like, like uh, right now I feel like the world is trying to beat us all down and, and it's succeeding, you know? And, yeah. and that just makes it harder to watch a movie like this. It's, you know, 30 years ago I was fresher and more dewy and, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can handle it better. Totally. I Yeah. And not only that, I think that it was, you know, 1995 and, you know, the fact that this movie is designed to play to me as like a young white man and be like, hey, you can make the world better if you just fight racism like this. And um, it it works on that level um, because it's designed to work that way. And and that is part of, you know, my own internal bias and why I perhaps had such a fond um, or such a fondness for this movie. I'm so annoyed that you were still in school in 95 because that makes me feel so old. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was in school until 94. I mean, big whoop. Yeah. We're, we're, we're all we're in only... the age range here. <laughs> yeah, we're not that far off. Yeah, we're wait, not. So wait, not are you are you Andy, an old millennial or a young Gen X? Which one are you? Are you sort I'm of seventy eight? So I'm technically, I'm so technically you're a younger X, right? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. But I'm. I'm very much of the opinion uh, that in, in embracing the exennial mm. role. Um, cause I really feel like we are a slightly different breed than our older counterparts. Yeah. So, cause we're, we're the ones that had the, the analog childhood and the digital young adulthood. And, um, we were the first ones with, you know, the, the AOL internet that you were talking about <laughs> and, you know, dealing with that um you know uh, i i think that's real and um yeah i think there there's something special about our our micro generation and that and i think that's inclusive of even as we're ignored by everybody but yeah (laughs) yeah yeah because we're 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 neither exactly x we're neither exactly millennials i think we're the best of both worlds we we're world weary enough to be x but I think also hopeful enough to be millennials. Unfortunately, we also all got screwed like the millennials too. So, you know, mm. some, some elder Xers actually like m- made it economically a little bit better than we did, but not that much better, but a little at least. Anywho, um, memories of the nineties. <laughs> um, yeah. So is this appropriate to show to formative young children, especially little girls? I wouldn't. I don't think it's because of the violence or the severing so much, although that could be a trigger for kids. And I'm not using trigger in that snowflake way. I'm I'm serious. Like, 
this movie could affect your mental health if you're not in the right state. You know? Oh yeah, totally. Um, but I feel like it just gives sends the wrong message—a message I wouldn't want my kid to pick up about race or you know racism. It it it, it means well, but you know, it's 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 like this movie's like a liberal. They mean well, but they're they're so. <laughs> of their own goodness exactly. you can't tell them <laughs> yep. that they're wrong you know what i'm yep. saying um this yep. movie is a goddamn you know like limousine liberal this is that's what this yep. movie is and i don't it, you know you can use movies and media as a way to give your kid an entrance into talking about yes yes you absolutely can i just don't think this is that movie i right. think uh, no one under 13 I, I wouldn't watch this with anyone under 13 a little older 13 and up i would but you have to have the conversation afterwards you just absolutely you can't just watch it would you show uh, this to julia or did she watch it she's been watching every movie with me but um i i didn't work that day I, i've been I've, I've taken some time off from work and um, I, I, I remember that we were going to be doing this. And I'm like, you know what? I should just watch it. Uh, and uh, she was doing homework. So she wasn't able to watch yeah. it with me. Would you let her right now? Like right at this age? Uh, no, yeah. Yeah. Because we've had, we've had, I mean, she's, <laughs> I sound like the worst parent ever, but we've seen worse movies. I mean, in this past summer, uh, I gave her, I gave her a little bit of uh, education on Vietnam by watching uh, Vietnam War movies. Uh, but like, we had some pretty good conversations as to like why, why were we there? Why did it take so long? What was the point of it all? How many people died? Who fought these wars? Like, we, we actually had those conversations. So she, she gets that now. So I kind of wish I would have seen this with her because I, I want her to know more about what took place in Africa and who held the power and why they held on to it for so long, because it parallels our history, man. I mean, we, we weren't as colonial as what they were, but we, we had Jim Crow. Uh, even after the civil rights act, we still had issues and we're having them now. So it's, yeah. it's not like things have changed and it's not like we haven't seen something like that here. And she needs to know, she needs to know these yeah. things. And, and she, yeah. no matter what, cause like, I always find it funny I'm not a mom, okay, but but I find it funny when like my sister's like, oh, he can't watch that. And my nephew's like six; he's gonna be seventeen tomorrow, okay. Oh, um, he can watch whatever he wants. Happy birthday! Well, yeah, happy birthday, Aiden. Um, so, but you know, it's it's a certain thing she doesn't want him to say. Like, like I have been watching too much RuPaul. Okay, I was catching up on an entire <laughs> again, and then Such I shade, went, girl. Then I went and saw them. And I, we were in a store, and I said thing about, oh look, they're stepping up their pussy because that's the thing they say a lot. <laughs> my mom, my sister, got so mad at me, and I was like, you know, he's like a junior in high school, right? And you think he's worse than that? Like she's like, listen, you know, and she got so mad. She reminded me of my mom, and uh, she's like, I don't want you saying that in front of you know. And I was like. Okay, you know, like, like I don't think that's that bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, kids hear worse; they see worse most. Most likely. definitely. Um. So, you know, I think 
we we pay too much attention to age and it's really dependent upon the kid like emotionally they might be much older or much younger than their actual years you know um like i bet julia could handle this easily you know she oh, would yeah. make her sad i think she you know but but you know she's smarter than her dad so you know she she, she already is yeah. she already is <laughs> yeah um, I think it depends on the kid, really. Uh, yeah. But, but, well, but, I mean, but at a certain point, Melissa, like, you know, uh huh. You, you can't shield kids from everything. Yeah. At a certain point, you're doing a disservice if you don't confront them from the realities of this world. Like, for fuck's sake. I, I, I cringe when, uh, I, I hear parents talk to you like six or seven years old. Uh, are, are you feeling okay from your wee wee? It, it's a fucking penis. Just call it a fucking penis. Like, yeah. why why are we still doing this? Like, you're 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 making it such a goddamn mystery, and and you're. It, it I think it distorts the way things should be, um, and and yeah. it's and it's always the older crowd. Like, I have this real real funny story that with my daughter from a very young age. I told her, look, dude, this is what you you have a vagina. You know, you know, you got to make sure you keep it clean. La la la. Boys have a penis. You know, it, it's very different from yours. Like she knew from a very early age. And one time I had to leave her at my parents' house. They were looking after her. And my mom told me that uh, my daughter said, you know, I, it, I'm hurting. It hurts. And my mom's like, they were in the living room, uh, my mom and my dad. And she tells my, my parents, my vagina hurts. My mom said that my dad jumped out of the sofa, went straight to the room, didn't come out. Because it was like, holy hell, how dare she say that? And like, like, what? why are we still doing this shit? Like, come on, man. And you know what? Kids at the early age of five, six, they have to know about racism. They have yeah. to know that certain kids were programmed to think that way to feel that way and they have to know this is wrong one of the things i did like about this movie is at the very beginning uh pk has a friend that he grew up with uh what was his name uh Tondurai? something yeah. like that yeah. yeah something like that um they grew up together as best friends they were both learning to play the piano because this is what happens people this is how we end racism by teaching children that there's no fucking difference between any of us, whether you're black, white, uh, whether you're brown or yellow or whatever the fuck, there's no difference. These things are taught, they're learned. And if you continue to create all this shit as a big mystery, you're just going to confuse them. So there is such a thing as overshielding your children. <laughs> Talk to them about this stuff. Show them this stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. And it will only help because they're going to have questions. And it's going to be on you as the adult to provide the right answers and to show them the way. The longer we kick this down the road, the more opportunity there is for them to learn all the motherfucking wrong things. And it leads to confusion, lifelong confusion. And we're just doing a disservice. So... Hell yeah, talk to them about this stuff. Don't shield them. Shit, I went on yeah. right there. No, no, no. Well, and I agree with you fundamentally, but my answer is, like, would I let my children watch this? 
would I let them like, yeah, if they're like, Hey, we want to watch this movie. I'd be like, okay. Like I don't have a problem with it, but I would prefer that they would actually watch something that didn't center whiteness and white saviorism I hear you. so much. Yeah, and, exactly. and that's really my only qualm. And that would be the talk that I'd have with them is that like, that's an interesting movie let's talk about let's let's talk about some reality and i'd i don't know i'd rather they watched like roots or um malcolm x or hell even like black klansman or um you know even stuff that's that's technically you know for quote unquote an older more mature audience um I I just I think that this movie is just sort of fundamentally mis mislaid um in in that aspect. And I, I think there's better ways to talk about apartheid than than this. I hear I you. There, there are other ways to I hear you. I think the conversation but, you should be having with your children is how in the world does anybody think Stephen Dorf can pull off a menacing villain role? <laughs> I, I just why did that ever happen? We Who thought of this? Okay, whoever thought that was going to be okay. <laughs> Who saw Stephen Dorff in the Power One and said, "You know what? You know what role he could pull off? You know what? We're going to make him the bad guy up against Wesley Snipe, <laughs> one of our most bankable action stars, who's like three feet three feet taller than him and outweighs him by like a hundred pounds." Yeah. Oh yeah, Stephen Dorff, the guy who played the Fifth Beetle in in the Backbeat movie. You know, it, it's typical. It's typical male fashion. You boys are so obsessed with size, and I tell you, touche, touche. That's true. There's a little more to things than size, y'all. We are boys. I will just yeah. say that as the resident woman, as the only one here, as far as I know, who's had sex with a man. Um, <laughs> well, well, there was, I don't judge. I don't judge. I go both There was 93 in Ben Camp. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this obsession with size is killing me over here, y'all. <laughs> literally small right uh, I, it's 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 not it's not just the height differential though it's the like i don't when i look at steven dorf i don't think of him as being like menacing mm -hmm. and that's why i'm so excited to watch blade because <laughs> I, I i remember watching that movie being like this movie's pretty badass but I never but that, thought yeah. that Deacon Frost was really like that great of a villain, and so I've never like rewatched Blade in like like I've seen Blade Trinity more times than I've seen the original Blade, um, yeah. and I've seen Blade Two uh, a dozen times. I, I feel the same way. I remember liking the movie, but immediately thinking, if only they would have chosen somebody else, uh, like. Can we? Couldn't they have just recycled Kiefer Sutherland as another vamp an, with another vampire role? Because Kiefer would have been, killed that it. been nice. I, yeah, that, he would have killed a it. Good call, Marco. For once, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Did, did you record this? Because I, I want you yeah. to replay that over and over. I want you to replay <laughs> Melissa saying that over, you know, like 
good. That should be at the start of every podcast. I don't know about that. Um. Yeah, for me, that casting was just typical 90s. They wanted a pretty face, and it didn't matter. The rest of it didn't matter. You know, it was all about aesthetics. I mean, I feel like that was typical of a lot of stuff in the 90s. Yeah. You know, um, that's just all that was, which I, there are worse choices they could have made. None come to mind at the moment, but there are worse choices, I'm sure, that they could have made with that. I'm not as mad about that as y'all are, but. I'm not mad about it. I just, I just remember feeling like kind of unimpressed about it. Right, right. Like, that movie really could have been something. Exactly. I just thought it had a weak villain. Exactly. So, I don't yeah. know. I hear well, you. Well, I've, I've heard some like great critical rediscussion of Blade, which now, by the way, if folks have the ability to watch it, you can get a 4K version of the first blade movie um, that is available. Now I do not have a 4k um, DVD player and I'm not getting a PlayStation five anytime soon. And I'm definitely not getting one just to watch blade. Uh, so I'll just watch my old DVDs, but um, I don't like 4k. Do y'all like it? I feel like the cinematic quality kind of leaves it. It, it. it feels like um, there's so much clarity because it, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm saying. Like, it's too clear. It's too. You can see like the acne on their faces, and you can see like, you know, the fantasy yeah. gone of these actors because you see all the warts and all, and it's just. Eh. Well, it, it depends on the production and the movie because Star Wars 4K is fucking awesome. Well, and I yeah, guarantee you, true. they went through and retouched everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so, why I say it, it, it depends on the production, exactly what you're talking about. Because, yeah, yeah some some of, some 4K re, just, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, Melissa, because yeah, you can see, like, the, the pores and the acne and all that. Like, do we really need that? We, you know, no, we, we, we don't need that. Fantasy, right? I mean, that's... But, but I've seen a lot of 4K uh, stuff that's just absolutely freaking brilliant. You know what I don't yeah. want to see in 4K is... I don't understand that at all. Like you really don't want to see that in 4K. I don't think. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> Elaborate. I don't want to yeah. see their hairy scrotums in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's what I was looking for. All right. Yeah. Men's bodies I, I, are I, not I, beautiful in a lot of ways. I don't want to see that either. <laughs> On that, we are agreed. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm stuck down. on that. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just going to be thinking about Harry Scrotes. <laughs> yeah, in 4K. In 4K. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so anyway, um, next week, Blade. And um, we'll we'll talk about that. And I'm I am sort of super excited to talk about that. And the, the only other thing uh, that I can say is before that, um, there's another, I normally don't say like, go listen to another podcast, like, and their take on this. Um, but uh, there's a, a podcast called Black Men Don't Jump in Hollywood. Um, and they did, uh, they've done two episodes on, on Blade and Blade 2 that I think are really excellent. And they really go through 
um, you know, Snipes and his filmography. And uh, they actually did an entire mini series on like Wesley Snipes as like the nineties action hero. And it's great. Um, but the whole purpose of their podcast is the double standard uh, that, that black actors and actresses have uh, in putting projects forward. And that that's just not a perspective that um, I mean, I can speak to, but like not out of like personal knowledge. So um please also go listen to them because I think that perspective is necessary um, and, and a good, and a good take on it. Whereas we're just going to talk about how Steven Dorf is, is little. (laughs) It's going to be an hour and a half of that. And especially with JB here. JB's loading up on his jokes as we speak. Yeah. There That's goes, why he's not here. He needed more time to write all his jokes. <laughs> there goes Deacon Frost. He could have been one of the Beatles. <laughs> I'm doing uh, movie crossovers. Uh, anyway, uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Melissa, for being here in this um, uh, good discussion. I think it, it was it was hard. Um, we've all been going through a lot. but um, Don't thank do this you. to us again. Andy. I won't. I promise. I don't think we're ever. We are. Well, I mean, until we get to like Hannibal, I don't think there's anything near as heavy. Uh, and even that, um, I think all of that heaviness we've all experienced before. We know we know what we're in for with most of that. So, um, but yeah, most of the season's going to be pretty, pretty happy, pretty light. Um, so, uh, well, wait, I take that back. No, because Whisper um, dies in the worst possible way. And and we have to watch Blade Trinity, which is just... Which is yeah, that, a mess. That's the that one movie's with Ryan terrible. Reynolds, right? That's the one with Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Well, uh, you know, ironically, he's the best part of that movie. Uh, it, that is indeed true. Yeah, but it's, oh, it wore thin after a while. Like, they relied on him too much. I, it, ugh. Yep. yep. You yep. know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. The shtick just... After a while, and I feel that way about Ryan Reynolds in general. By the way, oh, you back off. Except for one movie where he there, he wasn't Ryan Reynolds at all, but that's probably because Helen Mirren was in it. So I don't know. Oh but, yeah, the woman in gold. That yeah. was that was a really. Oh, I haven't movie. seen uh, He was very un Ryan Reynolds, and I I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. There was yeah, only he actually acted. Scene. Yeah, there was one scene he did where for a split second I was like, oh, Ryan Reynolds, and then he went back into the character. I was like, Oh, phew, thank God. You know, because I thought I was yeah. like, um, but yeah, that's a really good movie. Um, yeah. but, but that's other than that, everything I seen him in is just so Ryan Reynolds. It's I love me some Ryan Reynolds, man. Kind of like, so De Niro or so, uh, what's his face? Pacino. Yeah. Thinking of him, the first Joker guy from the Batman movie. Oh, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. So Jack. Yeah. Very uh, yeah. he's, he's got his stick down and it after a while it just wears thin. And, and I think part of that is being a woman and men find him way funnier than women do in general I think but we can discuss that because it's better discuss that than how bad that movie is right <laughs> indeed <laughs> yeah indeed all right um thank you both um thanks everyone for for listening to this uh starting next week with season two with blade because 
some motherfuckers always got to be ice skating uphill. <laughs> um, I'll see you. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, JV. Miss you, brother. Love you, Brooke. Big kiss, everybody. No. <laughs> I did not give my consent. Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Jen.